and welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. We've got a great topic today, a really important topic called making games accessible. And we've got some great guests to speak on this as well. So we've got Emilio, who is a UX and UI craft development manager at King. Carrie, who's a senior designer of accessibility at Rebellion. Gabriel, who's a talent acquisition and diversity manager at Kinda Brave. And Antonio, who's an accessibility reviewer at Nexus. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, a Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. And what we're going to do, as usual, we'll go around and do some introductions, and then we will go into our questions. So first, Carrie, please, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so hi, I'm Carrie Washington. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the Senior Designer of Accessibility at Rebellion, which is a role that I started about a year ago, and before that I was in UX design. And I fully believe games should be for everyone, and I'm passionate about making games more accessible and inclusive. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Gabriel, let's come to you. Yes, hello. My name is Gabriel Eriksson Salin. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm an openly queer transgender man, and I'm the Talent Acquisition and Diversity Manager at the world's first LGBTQI certified games company, Kinda Brave. Uh, and I'm also a lecturer within LGBTQI plus and social psychology at universities and companies around Europe. And I strongly believe, just as Kari said, that it's very important the games are accessible and that we showcase the games are for everyone and everyone can enjoy them. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Emilio. Hi, my name is Emilio Hildres. Uh, I am, uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm currently UX, UI, craft development manager at King. Uh, but additional to that, I have been pushing uh, the Advocates Group Accessibility at King for the last three years, where in those three years, we managed to add two accessibility menus in Candy Crush France and recently in Candy Crush Soda. So yeah, we are really passionate about this and really happy to be here, share the experience. Amazing. Thank you very much. And lastly, Antonio, please can we have your introduction? Hi, I am Antonio Martinez. Um, my pronouns are him. I am an advocate and activity consultant from Spain, and I am the founder and editor-in-chief of Game Accessibility Nexus, where we review games, uh, testing their accessibility and commenting and informing the audience about what features, what gameplay they can find, and also giving feedback to developers to make sure that all parts get the best information that we can give to improve their products so everywhere, everyone can play games the better way they can. Fantastic. Thank you, every one of you. We've got a great panel to discuss a really good topic as well today. So let's go straight into it with Carrie's first question. Yes, absolutely. So my question is, what features do you think engines need to include or improve for overcoming barriers during development and testing? So I think this question is really important because not only do games need to be accessible, but we need to make sure that the engines are accessible. Uh, most people can go and download Unreal or Unity and start making their own games, but there are still a bunch of barriers that exist for creators with disabilities or impairments. So for example, I'm working on a prototype with Sightless Combat at the moment, and one of the reasons that we're working together is because the engine isn't accessible to him. It's not screen reader accessible. Um, so he needs a friendly developer to come and help out um, sort of implementing and building that for him. I think that making engines more accessible is also just a great way to have more people be able to create things that suit their own capabilities. And through that innovation, we will find more ways to design games that avoid or solve access barriers. Um, yeah, I've got another point which I can hop into unless anybody wants to talk about uh, sort of the engine inherent accessibility-ness. Hi, her a point to me? Yes, yeah, so, I'll on it. I was thinking that, yes, as you said, uh, it is difficult or impossible right now for Sightless Combat uh, to be part of creating this game or this project. 
uh, it would be also the same for people with, with low mobility. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, many pieces of software, not just engines uh, for games, use like complicated uh, multiple key presses and stuff like that. And that is absolutely a big barrier for us. Also, they need to type long lines of code all the time. Like I remember back in the day when I was a coder, I could do fine, but then in the end I couldn't work as a coder because it, it relied on me having to type code for like hours and my hands couldn't handle this at, at my condition progressive. So definitely I making engines more accessible is going to be, as you said, more people making their own attempts at creating their own solutions like mothers do sometimes. I think that would be also a good way to to have uh, models come into the into the scenes, you know, the models like the one that created, you know, that mod for Hearthstone or the other mod for uh, GT Online, you know. I think it's it's very, very important that we also consider all type of disabilities and how we can make this more inclusive from not just the user point, you know, as a player, but as a creator, because a lot of people understand that some engines could be very friendly and it's, it's very important to as you said, bring more people into the, into the ideas. Exactly. The yeah. Diversifying the creators. I mean, even you're talking about, um, motor accessibility there, I'm thinking about the visual scripting in unreal, which is what I usually use. And that's a lot easier for me to process cognitively than lines and lines of code. And it does simplify lines and lines of code down into nodes. But one of the biggest interactions that you're then doing is dragging the execute, the execution line to the next node, which is a click and a drag, which is incredibly taxing for people with different abilities. So there it's like, can there be a different way to access that, that we can easily chain those nodes together? Um, yeah. Does anybody else have any other thoughts on? Yes, I'm thinking as well that when it comes, for example, you mentioning that the click and drag can be difficult and such, that I believe that it's very important for people that make engines to actually talk with people that have interpreted precedents within the field that are aware of how it feels that actually live with it every single day. So one might think, oh, but it's just dragging. Yeah, but that can be very tough if you maybe don't have the strength in certain veins in your hands or similar. So I think it's important to actually talk not only with developers but with hobbyists as well try to gather information and it's in, it's also relevant to find okay maybe you have issues opening a milk carton that is going to be relevant for how you make tools as well it doesn't specifically have to be people with experience in gaming or engines all type of experiences can absolutely help to try and make it more accessible emilio did you want to say something Yes, I, I was um, thinking about this this topic and and how well I've been also developing before being a manager and, and games and all the, every engine is different, right? I think most the most I the one I mostly use was Unity, and I think like even the text is so small, you know, and 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 at, and at the end of the day, I was like, you know, the, the eyes are super dry before like you know working eight hours looking at reading this text on the screen um but yeah i think like like everything and the most important part is like engines need to talk with the developers right need to understand the the, the user about what are the, the the biggest concerns and specifically with you know plenty of persons with disabilities right who are trying to develop and trying to understand where are the barriers they have and this is not just the massive ones like Unreal and Unity, right? I think like even at King, we have our own engine and that's the thing is like, even that's one, one of the things that also we're trying to push more and we're trying to, you know, making sure like, because I think that's a big topic, right? I think like, I think we're going to cover more of that later, but uh, yeah, how, how we make sure not just is our games are accessible, but how we make sure our companies are accessible for other people. Right. Um, but yeah, I think like it comes a lot with research and also I think like the next step is a lot of the features they do sometimes. And this is because it happens in games too. It's because someone in the team is, you know, whatever, putting in, in, in quotes, you know, colorblind is not, so they create a colorblind feature because this person couldn't, you know, check that. And I realized that's more common than I expected. 
And that's why things happen sometimes in companies is because someone in the team uh, has some time of a year and they try to fix it for them and then, you know, explain it to everyone else, right? Um, yeah, well, likely that happened in those cases, but ideally, yeah, we, we can expand, you know, that things broader than that. It's a really good point. Uh, Carrie, did you want to come, come back on, uh, and you said you had another point as well? Yeah, exactly. It kind of ties into that, um, what you're talking about, Emilio, with like the actual implementation of the features, because I think that um, having inherent tech in the engines is really important for promoting accessibility in games. For example, inherent functionality for integrating with screen readers, um, for control remapping, for creating subtitles, uh, text scaling, contrast modes. A lot of those things, if they were included as part of the like starter content, for Unreal, for example, that would break down a lot of barriers for developers because they're quite generic in the way that there isn't a lot of specifics to go through in terms of a gameplay, game at play, there we go, perspective. Um, but they do solve a lot of high-level access needs that require a lot of technical knowledge um, otherwise to implement. So having the, that kind of functionality already there, like out of the box, just means that it will be much more approachable to people who are downloading these engines um, and the games that they make they will have that accessibility um, and it will be able to make games more accessible from even the smallest indie dev. So yeah, that was kind of my other point. I think like, I think there's a lot in terms of like, especially looking at Unreal, all the start with content it provides, having people moving around and having like interactions um, with objects and stuff. Where's the start content for accessibility? Curry, do you think um, this has changed like within the last years or so is it becoming more prominent like more of an issue more people are bringing it up or is it still like there's always a lot can be done and more can be done but has it been a change over the recent years i think that it's uh definitely over the past uh like decade or so i think it's become more uh more fueled more sort of like more more brought to the attention but i think it's been something that has existed for a while like going back to the kind of creation of games and different controllers that people could buy depending on what kind of mobility needs they had it's always kind of been around but i think through a lot of the advocacy and a lot of hard work um i think it's something that's it's just kind of coming into games like we always think about access needs when we're creating buildings or creating workspaces like you know do we have wheelchair access ramps this kind of thing um, that's kind of something that's gone into the building of uh, the architecture around us, our environment. Um, and it's kind of taken a little bit for it to get more into games. That's a really good, really good point. And it's a really good uh, first question to start on as well. I don't know. Go on, Emilio. Do you want to say something else before we, uh, we move it on? Uh, sorry, not Emilio, Antonio. Yes, I was uh, thinking about what Curry said about, you know, um, the remapping. Uh, I see a lot of games, especially uh, in Unreal Engine, for example, or in Unity, that always have one bar that is basically like one of the staples of the industry, which is like in order to open the pause menu or the options menu, you have to press escape. And sometimes, you know, uh, the reverse say, well, you know, that's because the way that the engine handles it, because it's hard coded or whatever. If we want to add a remapping for that, we have to create like a secondary remapping and all that stuff. That's complex, takes time. And if we could have those features already implemented, as Curry said, you know, within the, the engine in a way that if you cannot press the escape key, you are not forced because, well, if you cannot, you are not forced because you literally cannot do nothing. Uh, and, and that's a big barrier, as in for many people. I've seen in the late years, like some engines start to implement that feature. The fact that I can go into a game and be able to remap the menu key, the pause key, from escape to anything else, it's like, finally, finally. And it feels like a big win for many of us. I know it's a tiny change, but I think if you ask the people who use the engines, who code for the engines and make the games, how much of a pain that feature is for them, how much that helps the user, you'd be surprised. Gabriel, did you want to come in? Yes, I want to come in a little bit as well that Emilio, before you mentioned when it comes to colorblindness modes and similar, and it's not maybe specifically engines, but related to development itself of like when it comes to programs you use specifically when it comes to creating art in the game, I'd love to be able to see 
that instead of just having color swatches where it's just circus of colors, they're actually able to maybe write underneath that, oh, this is the color you use for trees. So you don't continuously have to go back to your external color swatch or take uh, the paint the paint from another piece you've already painted. So you can just, oh, the tree is here, oh, that is here. But also to be able that maybe to integrate uh, recommendations for color swatches. Like here, these colors usually work with a normative color view. Here you have that you can play around with a little bit to be able to bring those type of colors to maybe someone that can't see it and they can trust that, oh, the program is helping them. I don't always have to go to someone and take their time and ask, hey, could you check this, for example? I think that would be great. Some really, really good points. And uh, Carrie, it's a, a fantastic first question. So thank you very much for that. Um, Carrie, did you want to mention any last things before we move it on? No, no, I'm all good. Thank you very much. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, uh, we'll go into our second question then. So, Gabriel, we'll come back to you because it's going to come from you. Yes, it's going to come from me indeed. So, Kerry, you just asked about when it comes to engines and making more uh, inclusiveness when it comes to development and testing. And I want to take a little bit further look at that, but more from another aspect. So what I'm thinking about here is accessibility when it comes to creating games and what then publishers should uh, take an extra look at to make the creation process more accessible and disability friendly. And then that's specifically thinking about, for example, equipment, types of communication, proper mentoring and similar. So just as Emilio mentioned before, how can the organization make itself more accessibility and uh, more accessibility and disability friendly? So that's a little bit what I want to take a closer look at as well. And I'm thinking, should I, I say my thoughts first or does anyone want to hop into the ballpark before me? Well, Amelia, why don't, why don't we come to you on it? Because uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, obviously, with your work at King as well. And then we'll come back to you, Gabriel. Sounds fantastic. Uh, sorry about Gabriel's question, right? Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, um, yeah. I think that this is, like I mentioned, this is a really tricky and 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 you, well, not you, the whole company need to check the whole process, right? This is, it's exactly like you know, doesn't matter if the game is accessible if the, the store where to download the app, the game, right, is not accessible. So you know, whoever player with disabilities is not gonna get to the game because of all the barriers just there, right, in in between. So. I think the whole process is, is is just bigger than just the tools, right? I think that the tools, of course, are are needed to be accessible, right? And I think computer, I will say, are accessible, like, and I think then you start getting to a specific tool that you use, right? Whatever you use, I don't know, Miro or, you know, well, Zoom things, whatever, as, you know, things you use, it does it have closed caption default all the time, you know? So there is a lot of things that is, you need to look like the whole spectrum, right? And not just, okay, are you going to develop? Okay, it's just, you know, you can use, you know, uh, a text, you know, uh, editor and just use that for, you know, a, a scripting, right? But it's everything, right? It's the communication with your team is making sure the all hands are accessible if you're working abroad or working from home, right? Um, and I think, like, I think companies are trying to make the effort. I think it's moving that way. And it's also because... Software itself, I think, also is um, is is going is is being more accessible and more inclusive. I think what is missing more is you know, and it's how you make sure you know people also wants to apply to this role, right? I think there is there is uh, there is a thing in between there. It's like oh, I'm not gonna gonna get the, the the job right because of whatever barriers or my disability, and I think that's. That's something companies need to push more, right? I think that, that there is a lot of work to do though more around PR, around like, you know, being inclusive. I think there is a lot of companies push diversity and inclusion just around gender. Uh, and it's way more than that, right? And you think like, obviously we are here about a specific topic around inclusiveness, um, but there is even more expanded than right, like, uh, you know, race or, you know, even social economic, you know, where are you coming from? I think that's, and, and I think that's, that's still a start in there, but I think like everything, you know, we are moving forward. Uh, I think it's very common and, and this topic, like, oh, this is, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a, it's, it's a marathon, like you need to go step by step. 
But I think like, yeah, I think like we're going in the right direction. I think it, it's, it's up to us. Sadly, also, like, he's a lot of advocation to do here. You know, uh, we need to push in our own companies about what is missing. And I think it's important to highlight this. You know, I think it's important to highlight this also. Um, I don't know, even in sometimes company events, you know, it's not accessible because there is no ramp or because there is flashy lights on the event, you know, the party. There is a lot of things that sometimes people just put things there and don't think about it, right? And so I think it's important to... Oh, you know, I noticed this, right? And I think like we need to speak up. If we don't speak out, nobody's else gonna do it most of the time. And I think that's 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 a big, you know. Um, I noticed we already have a lot of extra tasks around this, and but yes, this is another thing that we continue need to do in in our, you know, things to do in that is not probably covered in the job description that we have. Um, yeah, that's my two cents. <laughs> no, it's a great two cents. It's a, a brilliant point, uh, or a couple of points. Uh, Gabriel, go on, we'll come back to you on, on the other thing you wanted to mention. Yes, so once uh, once again, just as you said there, Andrew, fantastic points there, Emilio. And I want to take a further look at them as well. So yes, as you mentioned, it's something that the organization continuously have to work with. And me then being in HR, there is also a lot of work that HR specifically has to do to make sure that people, for example, in their ads actively feel welcome and want to apply. Because one might think that ad is very welcoming, but minorities might not apply because they think, oh, I don't reach up to specifically that word. Well, then let's look at the accessibility language that we're using. Can we use some other terms? Sometimes it might be easier to understand. Do you truly mean exactly this word? Is this truly mandatory for this role? And really analyze that to make it as accessible as possible for multiple people. And then what I think that we do at Kind of Brave is that we have anonymous recruitment as much as possible to limit our implicit and explicit biases as well. So we don't see people's names, we don't see their pictures, for example. And we all, always make sure that we hire not only based on competence, but uh, potential as well. So if we want to get more senior women programmers into the industry, we need to make sure to actively make it accessible to give them the opportunity to become senior programmers and that is a very important accessibility aspect as well to get more minorities into the industry but another thing that i also want to point out or not point out but take a look at is that i think it's very uh, important as well that in a lot of countries for example in sweden um companies are by law required to provide an employee with economic equipment that can help them do their job so it's important for HR to be, for example, up to date with the laws. What can we pr provide? So have a continuous conversation with the economics department and with the IT department. Where can we spend a budget? What can we provide? And what can we help with? And maybe create a standardization in the onboarding process that, okay, for all artists, we offer this set. And for all programmers, we offer this set of things. But then also be aware that Treating people fairly and with equality doesn't always mean giving everyone the exact same thing. Because some people, just you mentioned, Emilio, when we're looking, for example, socioeconomic aspects as well, there might be specific means of things that that person needs that someone from another socioeconomic position might not need. So it's important to take a look at, let's say for an analogy, that you are standing in front of a fence. One is very tall and one is very short. The tall person, they need one one specific height of a chair to be able to watch and you give all of them the same height. The tall person is going to be able to see, but the short person isn't. So you need to give them a taller chair so they also can watch the game that the tall person can. So I think it's very important to have that knowledge and to continuously think about that and make sure that we make it accessible for everyone and know that some need different things than others to make sure that we are diverse, that we are fair, and that we treat everyone equally. Some really good points, Gabriel. Go on, uh, Carrie. Sorry, I'm just going to hop in with the tiniest like, little thing here, which is uh, I relate so hard to the short aspect 
I am five two, and so whenever I go and see shows, I always want to sit in like the grand circle or like the royal circle because I will then have the height to actually see what's going on. When I go and it's when people are like, oh, I want to sit in the front row, it's like I'm not going to be able to see anything like at all. And it'll be my luck that there's some seven foot person st- sat right directly in front of me, so I'll have a great view of the back of their head for the show. Uh, I completely sorry. agree. I'm at 165 <laughs> centimeters. It's like, let's go to the cinema. I'm, I'm going to be behind the tall person. That's just, yep. I'm going to look at my boyfriend and be like, can we switch seats, please? <laughs> so maybe I can see something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Antonio, please go for it. Oh, I just wanted to mention that uh, I think cinemas have, Gabriel says it's probably one of the big issues that we are sure probably here. Uh, but in terms of like equipment, as you said, I think it's very, very well said that not everyone uh, is going to need the same thing, but they don't need to have the same access. Like for example, when I was uh, doing a uh, training course in coding back in the day, we had this issue where we had to uh, share the computer with the uh, evening uh, class, right? So for example, every morning when I went in, I would have the uh, text size set to like, uh, I don't know, like 60, 80 pixels per character, you know, in an old uh, in a monitor that was like super huge. And I understood that the person that was doing that same uh, course in the classes in the evening was someone with low vision. So they needed that feature. Now, on my case, I would need this day, for example, something like I could on a screen keyboard, you know, not one like some uh, like the one that Windows give you by default, but one that allows me to create macros, one that allows me to create fast copy and paste, something like that, command that allow me to code more efficiently and be as productive as I can be because I have the right tools. And in the same case, again, a person with low vision would need a bigger monitor than usual because they would need to send the font size bigger to be able to check the code or whatever, or maybe have good screen reader support as, as we mentioned before. But hardware is very, very important because like, like for example, if the table is not well uh, designed for someone that is a wheelchair user, you cannot get close enough to the table to be able to use the mouse. That's something that used to happen to me a lot of times in, in trainings and in courses, because again, my arm wouldn't be able to reach the mouse and if I cannot use the mouse, I cannot use the keyboard. So in the end, I was able, I wasn't able to do much of my job until I could that, fix that issue, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Equipment needs to be something that is absolutely um, considered and uh, evaluated and not seeing as, oh, this is going to be a problem, you know, for for us. No, this is an opportunity. You're having someone that is going to bring talent, diversity, and a different point of view, and it's going to enrich which their experience exactly, uh, your company, your studio, and it's going to bring much more value to your staff. Go on, Carrie. Yes, so to sort of answer the question properly and not just make a joke about my height. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think everyone's made amazing points, uh, especially Antonio. I think like you bring so much in terms of your own knowledge and experience that it's so great to have that representation here. Um, I think that one of the big things that's provided a lot of flexibility for people and, and had a lot more access to jobs is remote working. I think it's actually something that's been really good that's come out of the pandemic is that you might have your own setup um, or your own access needs and having remote working allows you to still work and have the setup that's most comfortable for you as well. Um, I think hand in hand with that flexibility uh, is working hours. Having flexibility of working hours is really important because all of us uh, will be at different levels during a week. Some days we can only operate at 10% and some days we can only operate at 90%. I think that that's something that we need to preach. Regardless of physical or mental capabilities, we are all fluctuating day on day in what we're able to do. Um, but flexible working can really help with that because maybe you are on a day where you're like, okay, I'm feeling at about 10%. I'm just going to work the core hours that I need to and then I can make up another day. Or the inverse, perhaps you're working really, really well and you want to work those extra hours to give yourself some breathing room later on in the week if you need it. Um, and also to mention mentoring, which you brought up in your question, Gabriel. I think the biggest thing for accessibility mentoring is getting in the subject matter experts, getting in consultants, people that are living with this. Um, 
these kind of things and different capabilities to get their experiences because they are the experts on their experience. Emilio, did you want to jump in there as well? Yeah, I just want to because give a lot of the point that I love since he he's mentioned working on HR side and I think like one of my biggest part of the job now is job descriptions when you know like and I think it's it's a key part to making sure like people when they read it they feel included right it's been like and, and I think it's it's a common thing that for example uh, like women doesn't apply if they don't have all the criteria right and it's like when men is like oh, I have two out of ten I'm, I'm gonna be fine you know and it's like um and 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 I think like some sometimes the thing we have to do is try to have the same you know description some sometimes the same role like twice you know senior or midway just to make sure more people apply and then you have to take all that and 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 tweet oh yeah these people is senior but they don't consider themselves right sometimes because imposter syndrome whatever reason but you know that happened that's that's very common and and I think that's also trying to make it more accessible in some way, more inclusive. So sometimes what I think is really tricky because you don't want, you know, or they don't know what they want when they have like, you know, oh, junior, middle, you know, senior, it's like, it could be anything. No, it's not because we want any, we really want a senior, but you know, we want everyone, we have, we just want to make sure more people apply to it. So we are making sure sometimes people, again, they, they turn down their own experience, you know, and it's like, it's, 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 it's really hard. And, and again, I think like, trying to cover more how to make sure people with disabilities try to play to these roles. I think that's, I think that's another challenge. And I think that's something that, uh, I'm trying to still to tackle, just making sure like people can feel like, yes, you know, they can do, they, they are a good fit, you know, um, but so they feel, you know, comfortable applying to the role. Right. I think that's still a barrier. Um, yeah. Carrie, you can come back in on that if you want. Just, uh, just very quickly before we we move it on, just conscious of time. But go on. No, that's totally fine. Um, I just wanted to kind of uh, highlight quickly to do with um, we're talking a little bit about like women and getting women involved in hiring. Um, and I just want to stress that that's definitely more diversity and not accessibility. Like accessibility is designing things with impairments in mind to remove barriers, and approachability and diversity are different things. Um, so I just want to kind of. Uh, yeah, add on to that briefly. Yeah, absolutely. Go on, Gabriel. Yes, yeah, so I don't want to say that that's a great addition, Kerry, that they they go a little bit hand in hand, but they are two separate and very important aspects as well. And just when we're talking there, I, just, I mentioned before when it comes to ergonomics, I also want to clarify that in Sweden it's about providing the information of how to use things and be like, okay, how do you use this equipment how are you supposed to move and then offer what can we do to make sure that you maybe feel comfortable and have the tools that you need that type of education is just as important as providing things just as if you work at a construction site you need to educate on how to carry properly and safety equipment that is just as important within the games industry because you can damage your wrists you can damage your hands so you need to provide that information provide that education and then see what you can do and i love that in sweden that that is a legal requirement to make sure to actively work within that and i hope that more countries continue working within that as well to help and make things more accessible at the workplace there's some really good points there, Gabriel. Fantastic question as well. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, well, that's the halfway stage. We'll move it on to the third question. It's going to come from Emilio. Uh, so Emilio, please, can you give us your question then? Yes. Um, it's really simple. How to make mobile games more accessible. So <laughs> I think like um, the industry, video games, uh, has been super focused on AAA console PC games. Uh, and you know, every new AAA game that is released has like the block about what is, you know, accessibility features coming for whatever new title is coming. And that's great. And I'm really happy that's like, it's trending and, you know, that's continue to happen. I'm probably, I'm happy to hear, continue to happen during the following years, but the mobile is being super quiet, you know, um, I think like, except like a couple of games that pretty much cross-platform and exactly the same and they have to adapt it to mobile, which is great because they have already accessibility features. Um, well, uh, for example, Fortnite, you know, it's a good example. 
they have to adapt the whole game, imagine, to a small screen. And they did very well, I will say. And in fact, that's one of the first probably appearance, like, you know, um, a visual uh, cue for hearing things, right? When they're shooting footsteps, and then they have this radar 360 that they move around. And now it's something that pretty much all AAAs has it, right? And I think like this in, in all these shooters. And I think that's great. It's, it's like a good progress. Um, and, but, you know, it's funny because it started for mobile, right? Because a lot of mobile players didn't play with uh, sound. And you want to cover that. And and I think like, again, but if you check probably the top 10 grossing games in mobile, um, not all of them, and probably none of them has uh, accessibility features like per se, right? Then they probably, they have uh, some things because they cover it. Uh, the design itself were more inclusive, but, you know, then, then also the distinction, like probably Kerry was mentioning, like about accessibility and also inclusive design, right? And that's also the, the approach we're trying to change now because yes, we and we are more accessibility is kind of more reactive, right? You have something and you need to they have the barriers and you need to fix it, right? And then you have to and well, inclusive design you try to step back and it's like how we can design this from the scratch, making sure everything is inclusive, right? And you have all the options. And and obviously it's more tricky and that's something probably one of the biggest barriers we have in, in in mobile is the the train has been moving for years, right? All these top crossing games being live, right? It's everything is live. It's not, you know, it's not a a, a disc, right? It's like um so it's this candy crush has been ten years, right? So like ten years ago there was not a lot of accessibility things going on, right? I think it's like and then I think like now it's like okay, how we do it now? But just jumping into a moving train is really hard. Right, and I think like that's is when advocacy is really important, um, and you know making business cases. And I think right now, King, the 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 ball is moving. Like we released it, and released in two uh, games so far. We have a lot of learnings, and and that's great. I think like that's 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 is, is when you start starting also is understanding you know how many players with disabilities do you have, right? What are their barriers? And I think that's that's key for all this communication, especially also when you have live game, right? Because it's, it's, it's an entity, right? It's, it's, it's live, right? It's, or it's alive, you know? So it's, it's, it's interesting to understand your audience. And that's another thing, like um, you could have more senior audience in some games, you know? And that means probably more type of more type of disabilities or you know for that specific audience that again that is for more a younger audience which still could have some disabilities but probably difference right so i think this is like and there is no universal design here there is no solution gonna fix all the problems and for all the games and i think it's really important to understand that understand your audience understand who is playing your game and and from there like and I hate this because uh, a lot of time when we try to, you know, start developing accessibility, it's like, okay, give me what's the low hanging fruit. No, I don't want to go there. I want to go what what's going to be the most impactful thing, right? I want to know what, what's the biggest barrier do we have? And then we should start. It's not about just, I don't know, um, whatever it is, just doing it because it's easy to do. It's about having things that is going to have impact to our players and the most of the players because it's really severe to them too. It's not just, it's, it's because, you know, that they're having pain or, you know, it's chronic pain for them or whatever it is, we're solving that to them, right? And then now they can play longer sessions because they don't have pain, right? Or they are not suffering and, you know, and, and I think that's that's key to make decisions, right? And and I think that's that's still like how we should start making, starting conversations when, when with our stakeholders. Carrie, did you want to come in? Absolutely. Sorry, Antonio, did you want to say something? I think you've had the hand up more than a longer than I have. Oh, Antonio, I think you're on mute there. It's fine, you go first. Fucking okay. no worries. Um, so yeah, a couple of things kind of off the back of what Amelia said. Um, really great question. In terms of the uh, trying to find out what things are most impactful in terms of the barriers, it's always a balance of scope. It's always looking at like, okay, what stage of production are you at? How long do you have to get these things done? And then what is the cost impact kind of thing? Um, so it's like, yes, 
one of the most impactful things could be like screen narration but actually that is a huge cost which isn't going to fit within the scope that we have for this project kind of thing um so there's always kind of the uh there will always be compromises that you have to make um and it sucks especially as an accessibility person it will suck that you have to make compromises and because you're often directly liaising with the people who would benefit from these things um so it's very hard not to kind of take it personally and to understand that it's just the way that game dev works and it's not something we can do this time but it's things that we can work towards i think one thing that mobile's definitely got running for it is that like you said it's a live thing um so updates are something that is fluid and constant and it's things that you can build towards a lot more and build up um but yeah, sort of going back to your how to make mobile games more accessible. I haven't personally worked on mobile games, but I think one of the interesting things that I can talk chat about is that my partner developed a mobile game for a student competition uh, last year, and his game won the accessibility award in that competition, probably because he has to put up with me complaining about a lack of accessibility in every game or media that I digest. So bless him for putting up with that. Um, but he pushed for things in this game like the controls only needing a single finger and one press at a time, color blindness settings, um, and he designed this amazing tutorial onboarding system that used like multiple visual channels to help reinforce how to play the game um, and introducing things like slowing down time and stuff. So I was really, really proud of him. He did amazing already. Um, and he was showing it off at EGX London and I was down because I was doing a panel and I met Sightless Combat there for the first time and took him over to go and see the game that my partner had been making. So this game was like a bullet hell shoot em up type thing and Sightless had a bit of a look at it and it was sort of immediately like, right, okay, this isn't going to work for me. <laughs> this isn't accessible. Um, but he then went and talked about the ways that it could be made accessible. Things like um, spatial audio and haptic feedback. So for example, when the waves of enemies are coming in, you have spatial audio to say these enemies are coming in from the left and then SK can use that to adjust where he's which direction he's shooting in um and also one of the things that's key to the game is that you change colors uh so depending on what bullets are coming at you so you might be changing between like red and blue or things like that if you're blue and you get hit by a blue bullet you absorb it and it's great if you get hit by a red bullet bad times so there was the kind of suggestion of having different audio cues slightly different for um like color a versus color b and that way that would help to inform um, sightless on which color he needed to be at any one time. So through those kind of audio cues, which for you and I might seem, we might think initially that's going to be really overwhelming, but actually when you see um, SK playing games, there's so much sound of the ambient and everything that just makes things inherently accessible. It's he's so in tune with all this kind of stuff um, that, yeah, being able to put it in front of him and stuff that would look stuff that would appear to sighted players as just really nice audio design uh, would then be really informative. Um, one of the things I like to talk about is that I played a little bit of Sniper Elite 5 with, uh, with Sightless and we picked up an item um, and he said, what was that? And I was like, a bandage. Um, and then we went a little bit further along. We picked up some more items, including some ammo. And he was like, oh, okay, we picked up another bandage because um, there was a bandage there as well. And I was like, how did you know that? <laughs> and it's because it was different sounds for the different objects which I fully had not picked up on at all and then when I told the audio team they were so happy and that's one of their favorite things now is to go through and make different sounds for different objects so that it's informative sound design um, but I think maybe the biggest takeaway for making mobile games more accessible is just to get more people playing them um, with different capabilities like having sightless just try to play the game that my partner had and then saying okay these are the little things that you could do they weren't overwhelming they weren't massive if it's a mobile game as well it's something that can be added into that live game um but yeah just so much knowledge and so many ideas uh so sorry i rambled on a bit but that's why <laughs> no problem it's, uh, it's all really good information so thank you carrie uh, gabriel go on then Yes, we were talking a little bit about now when it comes to um, physical accessibility. And I also want you to take a look at an area that people maybe don't think about, which is neurodiverse accessibility as well. That is very important, for example, to remember that certain, certain things can be too much sensory output. 
uh, or if it's like, for example, too loud sounds and such. So an easy thing that don't have the sound at 100% volume the first time you started, lower it a little bit and showcase like, oh, you can change the sounds here and similar to just be able to limit that. For me, for example, I know that I'm very sensitive to sound. So when I start a game and it's blasting full volume, I need to go hug my partner and just hide for a few moments because it's just too much input. And another thing as well when it comes to neurodiversity is also trigger warnings. And even though there might not be a lot in some mobile games, in others there might be. So for an example, this isn't really a mobile game, but the Stanley's Parable Deluxe Edition that came out, they have multiple endings and at the start of the game, one of them they said, okay, this ending can be triggering because of X. Do you want us to warn you when you can get to that ending? And you were like, yes or no? And then when I got there, they were like, okay, now it's time. This is the trigger. Do you want to leave? And I was like, nah, it's fine. Because then I had managed to get that warning. I knew what I was getting into. So that is great as well to be able to provide maybe a list of trigger warnings so that it pop up a little bit every now and again. And then also when it comes to just as um, both you and Emilio and Kerry mentioned, like, how do you provide information in a game when we're mentioning pop-ups as well to try and limit, okay, it's maybe a lot of instructions of how the games work. Try to make the information as short and concise but informative as possible with as few clicks and as few pops as, as possible. So you can provide, like, here you go, short amount of info, this is all you need to know. You can find more under this menu if you want to. So you don't have to continuously click on the screen and remove something to limit that so it doesn't maybe strain a hand or similar, but also makes it easier to take in if maybe um, you have issues focusing or something. You don't need to long uh, read a super long text or eight pages. You can just like, okay, nice. Now I know this. Now I can let my energy go somewhere else for a little bit before I come back and I still remember that short text. So I think it's important to also have a think about neurodiversity accessibility because a lot of people, like phones can be very accessible for more people than maybe a PC. So think, okay, you can have a bigger player base here. So how do we make sure that everyone has the possibility to play and to learn as well when they play some mobile games? Fantastic. Thank you very much, Gabriel. Yeah, some great points. Uh, Antonio, let's come to you. Yeah, so my point was uh, about, you know, um, I don't play many mobile games specifically because uh, most of the games that you find on, on mobile, you know, one of the most classic uh, interfaces is, you know, you need to hold and drag your, your finger all on the screen or sweep left, up, right, like whatever. Or even, you know, just accessing the option, your profile, wherever it's always set at the top of the screen and it's really hard to reach. So for example, one of the features that I use in my phone is I double tap on the bottom of the phone I reduce the screen, uh, the screen size, you know, now I can reach out, check my profile, go back. Now that's because the phone supports that functionality. If for some reason the game doesn't support that, it's going to be a problem for a lot of people because they might not be able to, as happens to me, have as much strength in their fingers as they have in their wrists or in their whole arms. So that's one of the big things, you know, all and drugs tend to be a big problem because mobile games tend to rely too much on that feature. Uh, for example, one game that I'm playing right now is, you know, uh, Marvel Snaps. In the first place, I was like, oh, this is a great game. A card game, I love it. Deck building, I love it. Marvel, sign me up for it, please. The problem then was uh, you need to hold and drag the cards to the positions. And while you have done it, maybe you do it wrong. You're like, okay, I need to undo the move, right? No, okay, now I need first to, remo to remember what order did I play the card? And then I need to drag them back to the original position and then redo my move. If they had something like, you know, an undo feature or simply a, a way where you could, like in other card games, yes. Click on the card, click where you want to put it and that's done. That would be much, much better. And again, as, as Gabriel said, good tutorials, actual information, simple, simple gestures, like we don't analyze, for example, in Nexus many mobile games. But it's not because of of the uh, because we don't like them or whatever. It's because they are not accessible. But we analyzed one for the first time like one month ago, and it got the first perfect score in our uh, history. A ten out of ten we have never got in a game for low vision. 
because it had exactly what it needed. It had, um, it was using all the features in, in, in the in the phone, all the features that game could have like uh, 3D binary audio, uh, uh, audio description, simple uh, choice uh, selection, and all that made it gain that uh, score. Now the score is not important, it's the fact that the person that played that game had no barriers from beginning to end, absolutely none. And that means that everyone who can play that game in that way is going to be going for that game. So it's a market for you uh, and for any mobile creator, you know? Terry, did you want to come in just very quickly again before we uh, we move it on one last time? Oh, you're on mute, Carrie, sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I pressed the wrong button. Um, yeah, I wanted to qu hop in very quickly on the points of like cognitive overload and lots of information. I adore a game that has a built-in wiki. So things like Planet Zoo that have a little like open this up and find out what all of these terms mean. Brilliant. I hate having to play something like Stardew and constantly Googling what I need to do for this thing or when this thing grows or when this person is in this location. Um, so like having a source of information in the game that is there uh, is something that's always really, really important to me. Um, but yes, sorry. <laughs> no, so don't be sorry. It's a, it's a great point. Um, Emilio, fantastic question. So I hope you've you know managed to take a lot away from that as well in terms of mobile. Yeah, perfect. Um, so really good points from everyone as well there. So we'll move it on for the last time and we'll come back to Antonio for the last question, please. Yeah, so my question is more related to how to create a program internally. So my question is, what advices could you give or do you think are the best for someone who's trying to start pushing internally for accessibility within a studio? Now, when I say pushing, I don't mean like pushing people around to do or accessibility, you know? I mean more like how to convince them. And in my experience as a consultant, I think it has been very helpful to think in different ways. So for example, one of the first things that you need to do is make sure that you are involving everyone as much as you can. Not just people you know from coding because you think that's where uh, your features are going to go in or no, involve every person you know from art, narrative, visuals, audio, uh, whatever, every department, even PR, like every department has to be part of it. And you need to talk to them in a way that you don't sound like you're bossing them around at all because that's not how it works. Uh, when I am brought to a studio or something for a workshop, for a, uh, you know, any kind of advisory, uh, what I need to do is first I need to explain about the experience. Then I need to talk to them in a way that feels like they have done something right. For example, I look at the last game that they did. And I looked at what things have they already done because in a lot of cases people seem to be like a bit resistant or scared of accessibility, like oh, this is going to be a lot of work, it's going to power budget, it's going to be a problem, it's big But it's not the case really in many occasions because you go there and you tell them, Hey, I played your last game and you had greater mapping, you had very good sound design, and all that is accessibility, believe it or not. You have an option to turn off motion blur, which, by the way, nobody seems to like, by the way, in the industry. I don't know why it's always on, but every time I go to a studio and I say, you know, I hate motion blur. It makes me sick. They're like, yeah, we are hated too. And I'm like, where do you put it in? And they're like, well, you know, creative vision or whatever. And I'm like, fine. Creative department also need to do that. And it's important to talk to them, uh, to developers in a way that they realize that you understand their challenges that you understand that they are not resistant to accessibility because they don't like it or whatever, you know. It's just the fact that what's the problem? Maybe it's the engines, maybe it's the time, maybe they don't have the budget. How can you help them? And you are not there, again, to tell them what they need to do. You are going there to explain them the barriers that you're going to face more commonly, and then you can let them like ask questions and you can build a relation with them based on trust and empathy, because if there's no empathy, it's going to be very difficult to have these conversations going, because a lot of people are often times um, kind of reluctant to talk about disability, because they think it's like 
uncomfortable feeling or awkward, you know, and it's not at all for us to talk about disability and our experiences in a way that can be helpful for them and helpful for us because we are all on the same side in this. So it's important that you bring in people like consultants, uh, players with disabilities, uh, you talk to other peers in the industry because they're always going to give you some good advice, especially people with high experiences, higher positions, you know. And in the end, uh, I think the biggest take that you're going to take is that it's the right thing to do, which sounds like, yeah, but that's not the same point. The selling point is you're going to sell more games because more people are going to be able to play your games. If I buy your game and it's not accessible for me, I'm going to leave your review. That is not to, it's not going to be harsh or whatever. It's going to be too constructive, okay? Because it's important to understand that developers do their best always to make their be the, the, the best that they can. So when we get that feedback, we need to be respectful and we need to be considering what challenges they might be facing. And if that conversation starts going fluidly, like they say, well, you know, my problem is that I don't know how to do this feature. Okay, maybe you could give them some examples. Maybe you could direct them to certain guidelines or any other resources that you know that could help them. And in that way, the relations start going forward and forward. And before you know it, they are no longer resistant. Now they are an ally, they are your champion. They are working not for you, but with you to make their game the best that they can. And I think that is probably the best way to start doing a civility from within. Really, really good point, Antonio. It's a fantastic question and everyone's hands up. So everyone wants to speak on this as well, <laughs> which is which is great. So Carrie, I think you were first from what I remember. So I'm going to come to you. Thank you. Um, I don't know how to follow that up. Uh, that was amazing. I feel like I have 101 things to say about this anyway, because that is what I'm doing in Rebellion. I'm leading this accessibility initiative, leading the Rebellion Accessibility Initiative. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think 100% you're right. One of the huge things is building empathy and your team, like getting people in. And I, I think you've said it beautifully, so I'm not going to repeat it um, other than just saying empathy, empathy, empathy. Um, if you want like the cold, hard business stats for really trying to persuade higher ups, then at least 20% of gamers experience some form of disability. Uh, that is one fifth of your audience. So that is not a small number. And that is definitely going to get some people interested if you're facing that kind of resistance there. Um, one of the big things I would suggest doing if you're trying to push for internal initiatives is getting together, um, some guidelines or heuristics, uh, to create, um, checklists that people can use to self-review their own work. You can hand it off to the UI team and it could have things like um, testing that the text works at the largest scale that it needs to be at and that you're not just relying on color as one channel of communication. Um, and by handing off those kind of little checklists, it can be like five or six points. It can help to just weave it into that process like Emilio mentioned earlier, inclusive design, making it part of the process so that there isn't as much retrofitting that needs to be going on at the end. Um, but I mean, genuinely, I think the best thing that I can recommend is going and watching David Tisserand's talk from GAConf US last year, Don't Let Your Vision Be a Dream, because it is incredible. It goes through a lot of things in his journey and how he started with accessibility at Ubisoft. It was so validating to watch as someone who has been doing this for just shy of a year and it was so relatable it has a lot of really great takeaways and really good places to start if i had to just summarize three things from it it would be be the accessibility support class like help everybody in your team to make those choices be the one that finds out the knowledge that they need um small early wins will build momentum um, like, yes, impact is really important, but those small little things are going to give you a way to kind of get the ball rolling. Um, and finally be humble. I think that was the best ones. And yeah, like Antonio said, go and speak to other people. Um, I actually spoke to David after saying this was an amazing talk and it was like an amazing experience. <laughs> He's wonderful and lovely. Uh, so yeah, go speak to people. We're yeah. mostly great. <laughs> fantastic fantastic bit of my advice gabriel i think you were second as well so i'm going to come to you and then to emilio after if that's all right go on gabriel yes so i want to talk a little bit like you both of you were talking about some fantastic areas some great points what i want to bring a little bit forward then is some 
very specific like tips on maybe how you can make a change and like how you can present it. So if you are in a company, one of the best things you can do at the start is start talking about smaller and easy changes to make. Because if they're smaller and if they're easier, people are going to be more agreeable to implement them because they're going to be easier to implement. And then you are going to start getting them on the track when it comes to talking about accessibility. And then when you present your suggested changes, make sure to, ref uh, to refer to maybe information and sources you can find online, maybe to other companies what they are doing or other games to provide uh, some concrete examples. And then also then state, why is this change going to be good? Just as Kari said, that 20% of your gaming base have some type of disability. So to bring that type of information to showcase, hi, this is a really good idea and this is why. And then also, I think it's very important to remember that not everyone knows a lot about this field. And it's not it's not always about ignorance, for example, but maybe they've just not grown up talking about it. Maybe they don't know anyone they dare to talk about it to. Or maybe they think it's stigmatized to mention something because they might be afraid of using the wrong terms and similar. So do be aware of everyone's knowledge and try to create a friendly and welcoming space where they feel like they can open up, where they feel like they can learn and educate themselves and listen. So make sure to dare to talk about the subjects. And the more we talk about it, the more we bring up accessibility, the more aware people will become and the more they will think about it, which means that they will be continuously on their mind and we can then easier direct them on the tracks of getting them more implemented into the games and also the organization as a whole. So that's some tips and tricks of how to do that. Yeah, brilliant. And I hope a lot of people take them away as well because they sound fantastic. Uh, Emilio, let's go to you. Thanks. Uh, great tips. And I, I think, like, uh, I'm going to just go with that. I think, like, the other side still said. Uh, so, on my side, what I have worked a lot uh, is having hack days. I think hack days is good opportunities. Every team akin has them um, in different ways. Uh, but they're supposed to do days that you can do whatever you want to improve the game. And that's exactly where a big opportunity for accessibility advocates to put accessibility. In fact, the two accessibility menus we have in the in live are coming from there. Um, again, the cadence change from game to game. Some games have it um, like every quarter, they have like two weeks, like a sprint. Some of them have it every, every month, but it's like just a day. So it depends. It's 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 uh it's up to every game to do that. But I think having, you know, fighting to, you know, everyone do see something different. So at least you can, you know, advocate and push together, make a group of developers, artists, UI, UX, and making sure uh, you are covering all areas. Um, you're good to go and start developing that. You know, start. I think the most important part in all this is having the menu. You know, once the menu is in. It's really, especially live games, it's really easy to start slipping things in in every update, you know, since the, the game is already there. The menu is there, right? The, 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 which is which is probably the hardest part is adding a new thing in the game. After the new thing is in, uh, if you just start updating that part, new features for the menu, you know, new options for players to do there. Um, but I think that's, that's hard, but, but I think the, the key part here is when you do the work, right? And I think hack days is a good opportunity. And for that, it's like, you know, again, I think it's what you're going to do there right, in hack days. So I think it's important to come already with a really defined idea of what is missing in the game, what you can improve in the game, what's going to have the biggest impact in our in your players. And if you want to go, yeah, also maybe maybe at least the first time, yes, try something quick and fast just to make sure you do your, at least, you know, just release the menu with something the players can use right away. Um, but yeah, I, I will say that's, that's something really important. And from that area too, I think, um, to keep in the loop and something we also have in our accessibility menu, is a contact point for players, uh, for them to, you know, uh, tell you what is missing, you know, like, oh, you know, I have this type of disability and this is a barrier I have. Or, you know, or whatever, even kudos. We receive a lot of kudos also in those, like, oh, this is great. I, I love to use it like this. Uh, but also, like, you know, uh, I think it's important to, like, 
educate also players sometimes about accessibility. And, you know, I think a lot of players with accessibility, once we release them, um, some players are like, why do I have this? I don't have disabilities, you know? And it's like, dude, this it's not it's, it's not about that you know it's like it's really tricky and and a lot of and, and some kind of complaints around this area which they shouldn't right it's like about this is for everyone and i think like some some games even don't even say accessibility but there's just settings and there's a lot of accessibility things there right you're seeing a lot of but that's pretty much accessibility is just a collection of specific settings you know at the end so uh, it's how you frame it. Anyway, um, yeah, hack days. I will say that that's my two cents on this. No, it's a, it's a really good tip. And Antonio, it's a, a fantastic question. Hopefully a lot of listeners to this will have taken away a lot of points that all you guys have mentioned. And then ultimately, games become more accessible and people are pushing for it in, in their own individual companies, which would be fantastic. And obviously, that's what it's all about. If more people can play games, then... That's amazing, and that's what we want. So, Antonio, thank you very much. And uh, that concludes the podcast, guys. That's that's all. Everyone's four questions. So, I will take this opportunity to say thank you to Carrie, to Gabriel, Emilio, and Antonio. Some great input, great questions, uh, and a really, really great topic. So, thank you very much for for joining. If anybody else would like to join any other podcasts or talk about anything else in the future, please drop me a message, and we can make it happen. But until then, we'll see you next time. Thank you, guys.